welcome to Saird's Audio Fan Fictions. I'm Saird. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, we will be continuing on with Chapter 3 of To Believe with Certainty, We Must Begin with Doubting by Glitter Bombshell, Part 4 of the Joy in the Midst of These Things series. If you've missed any episodes or just want a refresher, please follow the links in the description below. There, you should find links to past episodes and chapters. Also, just a quick reminder, this fic will be made into a single complete audiobook upon the fic's completion. It and other complete works can be found on my website at sairdsaudiofanfics.com, as well as on my AO3 profile page. Right, with all that out of the way, let's get to it. Happy listening! Chapter 3 Lam Wanji spends the rest of his morning in quiet solitude, unspeakably grateful for the rare gift of a few uninterrupted hours to meditate, tune his guqin, even make further inroads on a volume of poetry by one of the Lan ancestors he has been trying to read for several weeks now. The only thing that could improve his mood would be to have Wei Ying at his side working on one of his new talismans, or spinning idle notes on his flute at the window, or simply murmuring to himself as he pored over whatever text has caught his attention this week. It is good and healthy for them to have separate activities, of course. Separate plans outside of the hours that Lanwenji's duties force him to be away from his husband's side. Knowing it is good and healthy for them to not have to be joined at the hip, does not stop him from wanting it, however. His instincts continually prod him to seek Wei Ying's presence like a flower seeking sunlight, to greedily soak up every moment he can, hoard them like precious treasure. He spent so long steeped in his grief and regret, walking through the world with a gaping wound in his heart, exactly the size and shape of the man he had secretly given it to. So many nights he had been unable to stop torturing himself with maybe and what if, imagining what he would do if he had put another day, another hour, another moment with his weighing. It is difficult to let go of that mindset. Even nearly a year after Weying's return to the living, difficult to truly settle in the knowledge that he has the rest of their lives to speak all the words he kept locked in his heart before, share all the touches he smothered into tight fists. It is difficult, and it does not have to be done all at once. So, when the bells toll the end of the morning lessons, he sets his book aside and collects Weying's gloves from where they have been, again, flung over the edge of a privacy screen and forgotten. He stuffs them in his sleeve and ventures out into the cloud recesses to see if his husband feels like flying down to Chai town to take their middle-day meal at one of the noodle shops Wei Ying favors before his appointment with the clan tailors. The cloud recesses are still drifted deep in snow and will be for several weeks yet but there is the barest hint of warmth in the pale sunlight that sprinkles the ice-glazed tree branches. The quiet babble of flowing water can be heard in streams that have been frozen over for weeks. The promise of the coming spring trembles on the breath of a wind that does not cut quite so sharply as it has been. 
it gives him pause. Even as he continues down the path towards the training fields, by rights, he should start the process of delegating his most pressing duties in preparation for his and Wei Ying's departure from Gusu when the snow melts. His love had only agreed to winter in the cloud recesses, not stay permanently. The arrangement has worked well enough since he was elected chief cultivator. He and Wei Ying never stray far from the territories of the great sex, and young Jin Ling graciously allows them an unlimited supply of the Jin messenger butterflies, so that Lan Wenji can be alerted quickly if something needs his personal attention. And apart from the fact that the traveling makes both of them happy, he cannot deny that it has also had a political advantage. It is difficult for people to accuse you of being too aloof and too out of touch of the goings-on in the world, when you are often literally in the thick of said goings-on, your brow just as sweaty and your clothes just as travel-stained as anyone else's. He knows Wei Ying would scoff at the notion of him ever being sweaty or travel-stained, but it does happen. Lamunji's reputation as a champion of the common people was pristine before. Now? Now it is nigh invincible. However, there is no way they will be able to leave the cloud recesses for extended periods if Wei Ying is teaching. Now Wenji is not entirely certain that Uncle means this to be a permanent situation, but an extremely temporary one would never have moved Uncle to come to Wei Ying. He suspects Uncle is waiting to see how Wei Ying handles the responsibility before deciding if he needs to go about finding someone else in the clan. Lan Wenji knows how it will go. He knows to the core of his bones that Uncle will find no dissatisfaction with his husband's ability to guide their youngest disciples. Or rather, Uncle will likely find several things to be dissatisfied about, but only because he did not think of them first. Lam Wenji has seen his husband on night hunts with the juniors, has observed that clever, quicksilver mind up close. The children of the clan will benefit immensely, and Wei Ying? Wei Ying will flourish. Lam Wenji thinks of it for a moment, lets his mind wander in an uncharacteristic flight of fancy. He pictures Wei Ying coming into his office at the end of a long day of exams, Dressed in the colors of his clan, probably dirt and grass stained, yes, but unquestionably belonging to the Lan. Chattering about his day as Lam Wenji finishes up his paperwork. He imagines them walking down the paths of the cloud recesses together. The trees pink with new blossoms, green under the summer sun, flushed crimson with the waning year, and laden with snow. He imagines Wei Ying watching the children of the clan grow up, his face glowing with pride as his students take their places in the cultivation world, carrying his teachings in their hearts. He imagines the two of them growing old in the Jingxi, watching the smile lines deepen around his beloved's eyes and silver thread its way through his hair. Together. Here. Home.
He knows Wei Ying is not unhappy in the cloud recesses. He would never ask Wei Ying to stay if he was. Would give up the mantle of chief cultivator in a heartbeat if his duties here ever became incompatible with his love's happiness. He has lived with only the comfort of his duties. And he will never give up his place by weighing side for duty ever again. He is no longer the boy who so foolishly thought he could keep and hide weighing here if he did not wish to be kept and hidden. He is... He is not his father. However, he knows that Wei Ying's happiness or unhappiness in the cloud recesses is tied entirely to him and their son. Wherever he and their Ayun are, Wei Ying is content to be as well. His husband does not mind the cloud recesses. That is not the same as feeling that the cloud recesses is home, that he belongs here, that he can belong here forever if he so desires. Lan Wenji, Lan Wenji would very much like his husband to feel that he truly belongs here, not because of their marriage, not because of their son, but simply for his own sake, because this is where his work and his life, and his purpose, as well as his family are. Because after being ripped from his anchors over and over and over again, he has found the strength to plant roots one more time. He wants Wei Ying to consider the cloud recesses home, to love this peace and beauty the way that he and Zijui do, he wants Wei Ying to feel sure that he will never again find himself anchorless, rootless, adrift. His husband taking up a position as a teacher here is only one step of many that they must take before the past is truly laid to rest. But it is a significant one, and the hope it kindles in Lan Wenji's heart is as fierce and bright and beautiful as his beloved. He finds Sujui and Jingyi on the same training field that Wei Ying had taken the novice class to the day they had been left in his care. Nearly the entire circumference of the snow-covered field has been kicked up and trampled, wide divots and slashes showing where feet dragged and jumped and skidded. Then when Ji tilts his head, reading the story of a vigorous and skillful sparring session in the footprints. He can easily picture his husband, their son, and their son's best friend racing around the field, calling out encouragement and challenging each other. He sees Wei Ying's quick and aerobatic fighting style. The young Mangjang sword forms that ebbed and flowed around their opponents like the hidden currents in the lake around Lotus Pier. In the disturbed snow on thick, low-hanging tree branches, and the roofs of a few surrounding buildings. The distinctly Jingyi-shaped full-body print on the ground just below a large tree is a dead giveaway as well. Lawanji is pleased to see evidence of how far the sparring session ranged around the training field. Not only is it good for Sijui and Jingyi to practice against an opponent as creative as his husband can be, 
it shows how much progress Wei Ying has made with his new body's golden core. Wei Ying is still not quite strong enough to properly wield Suibian. In truth, he may never be strong enough to wield so powerful a blade to its full potential. To fly with her again as he knows part of his husband still longs to. But his love has made incredible progress. Enough that Lan Wenji no longer fears that his own cultivation will outstrip his husband's, to the point that he will outlive Wei Ying by decades. Enough that he is able to let go some of his worry that Wei Ying's, admittedly now infrequent, use of demonic cultivation will sicken him the way it did before. And it is not impossible that he will reach the point that he can fly on Suibian again. Lan Wenji has long accepted that to his husband, impossible merely means not done yet. Sijui and Jingyi have just finished writing a training dummy that fell over and are in the process of gathering the practice swords they used when his son spots him. Father, he says, abandoning the more formal Hangonjun, as he always does when it's just them. Jingyi bows to him, nearly dropping the swords in his arms, but recovering nicely. Sijui, Jingyi, how did your sparring session go? Sijui's grin widens. Very well. Master Wei had us team up on each other. It was very instructive to fight two opponents at once. We even got Master Wei to yield a couple times. He's very fast. Jingyi snorts inelegantly. He's a big cheater, you mean, he says, and then abruptly pales as his brain apparently catches up with his mouth. Uh, that is... Lemonji lets the boy flounder for a moment, before gravely inclining his head. Wei Ying's methods are extremely... creative. For a few heartbeats, his mind conjures the sound of merry laughter echoing off the roofs of the cloud recesses, the clink of some illicit jars of emperor's smile. Sijui takes pity on his friend and elbows him in the side affectionately. You're just mad he disarmed you three times in a row, and you're talking like you're not going to use that move every time you have the opportunity for the rest of your life. Yeah, well... It's a good move, Jingyi blusters, a light blush rising on his cheeks. Anyway, if you're looking for Master Wei, Hangunjin, he said he had an appointment to get to. Hmm, yes. He was supposed to go to the tailors. Sijui looks startled at that. Uh, I thought he went to them yesterday. That's awful fast. Lamanji lets a little of his amusement color his words. He forgot. His amusement vanishes, though, when Sijui's brow furrows. What? No, he didn't. We went to ask if he would come and help us check the wards at the northern wall, but he was already headed to the laundry building. A thread of unease unfurls in his chest as he suddenly recalls that fleeting, haunted look that had appeared in Wei Ying's eyes that morning. Had something happened at the tailors yesterday? It is not like Wei Ying to... All right, it is precisely like Wei Ying to hide his hurts away, though his love is getting better about it. Sijui must read something in his eyes. I'm sure it's nothing bad. 
Lang Guang Yu and the rest of the staff at the laundry services are quite fond of Master Wei. Her grandson was in the junior group that Master Wei helped protect from that demon nest. Hmm. Lan Wenji hums. But some of the tension eases in his shoulders. If that is the case, then it is unlikely that Wei Ying had a problem with any of the tailors. But then, why lie about missing his appointment? He abandons his plans to take Wei Ying into Xiaoyi Town after talking to Sijui and Jingyi. He will not be able to hide his concern, and he does not want to try and prod Wei Ying into talking in the middle of a crowded restaurant. Instead, he sends word to the laundry building that he will be in his office when Wei Ying is finished getting fitted for his new robes, and has a simple tray of hot soup and scallion pancakes sent from the kitchens. It arrives only a few minutes before his husband, who bursts into his office with his normal energy, grinning from ear to ear and already teasing him about not being able to go for a whole day without working. He falls onto the food like he has not eaten in days rather than hours, and Lam Wenji considers carefully, watching his husband for any signs of distress, any hint of what may be going on with him. If you can get away, you should come meet the boys with me again tomorrow. Jingyi almost had me a few times. I'd love to see how he fares against the great Hong Guanjun. Hmm, he says neutrally. Perhaps I can shift a few meetings. He falls into customary silence as he sips his soup, content to allow Wei Ying to fill the quiet with as much talk as he wishes. He takes in every gesture his husband makes, listens even more intently than usual to the sound of his voice. There is nothing unusual, though. Wei Ying speaks of the tailors in as friendly a fashion as he speaks of anyone he has no quarrel with. He laughs over how apologetic one of the younger assistants was when the boy accidentally stuck him with a pin. He muses over whether he will have time to continue sword practice with their son when he takes over his class next week. He sounds happy, excited, joyful even. Oh, something's come from Landling? His thoughts are interrupted when Wei Ying's eyes light on the pile of correspondence waiting in the center of his desk. When he glances over, he sees that there is indeed a thick, gilt-edged folio near the bottom of the pile that is typical of the Jin sect. May I? Wei Ying asks, always eager for any news of his nephew. He and Jin Ling are not exactly... close. Not in the way he knows Wei Ying wishes they were. Lan Wenji thinks perhaps Jin Ling wishes the same. The boy has joined Sijui and his cohort on several night hunts in the months since Jing Guoyou's downfall. And though he can be just as brisk and abrasive as Jiang Yin. Sometimes Lan Wenji thinks he sees a certain longing in the young sect leader's eyes when he sees Wei Ying teasing Sijui or throwing a companionable arm around Jing Yi's or Ouyang Jijin's shoulders. That he immediately shrugs Wei Ying off when Wei Ying tries to do the same with him is confusing to Lan Wenji. Still, he and Wei Ying write to each other somewhat consistently, and he never refuses to come on a night hunt when he knows Wei Ying will be there. 
Wei Ying seems cautiously hopeful that their relationship is strengthening, and he knows that things between Wei Ying, Jinling, and Jiang Wenyin are, and likely always will be, complicated. He nods his position and Wei Ying scrambles to his feet, crossing over to his desk and plugging the landling missive from the pile. Uh-oh. I see Sec Leader Yao has written to you again. Undoubtedly something earth-shattering and important that deserves the chief cultivator's attention, yes? Wei Ying's eyes sparkle with mischief as he sits back down on the low table, setting his soup bowl aside. Undoubtedly, he agrees flatly, his eyes narrowing at the thought of yet another long-winded set of problems and demands from one of his least favorite people to deal with. Weighing throws back his head and laughs as he breaks the seal on the landling letter. As the missive unfolds, another, smaller message falls into Weighing's lap. This one is simple, plain paper folded over and sealed with a wax stamp, and Lan Wenji realizes that Weighing's name is scrawled on the outside in the same bold hand that Lan Wenji recognizes from official documents bearing Jin Ling's actual signature, rather than just his seal. Wei Ying's delight at receiving a note from his nephew is palpable, but he scans the official missive first. Ah, Lanling will be holding a festival to commemorate Jin Rulan's first year of leadership and celebrate the continued friendship of the great sex. Blah, 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 hold week of feasts and parties, blah, blah, esteemed chief cultivator and guests invited, blah. In the name of strengthening alliances, hope to see you there, blah, blah. Hmm. So Lan Ling Jin wishes to remind the sex of their wealth and power, and secure my attendance before official invitations to other sex lantern festivals start going out? Wei Ying clicks his tongue twice and points at Lan Wenji. Good thought! Look at you being politically savvy! He beams proudly before sobering. We don't have to go. We see Jin Ling often and it isn't good to show any particular favor to one sect over another. Now when Ji considers for a moment. Your nephew has the potential to be a fair and just leader. He has tried very hard to distance himself from Jing Guang Yu's schemes and Jing Guang Shan's corruption, and surround himself with wise advisors. I do not mind the perception that such behavior is favored. And it would not go amiss to remind any of Lan Ling's more unsavory elements that Sandu Shengxiu was no longer the only powerful figure who could be extremely upset should anything happen to the young sect leader. He is fairly certain that is the reason Zhang Wangyin has not raised any objection to Jin Ling night hunting with Sijui and the others so often and being seen with Wei Ying. One would have to be truly desperate to risk the wrath of the Jiang sect leader and the Yiling patriarch. Wei Ying's smile turns blinding, and he leans across the table to peck him lightly on the lips. When he settles back, he takes up the letter addressed to him specifically and breaks the seal. It's a short note, only a few lines long, and Wei Ying's whole face goes soft. 
his eyes turning glassy with moisture. Alarmed, Lam Wenji reaches for his husband. Wei Ying? Nothing, Wei Ying says, his voice trembling. It's nothing, just look. He holds the note out for Lam Wenji to read. There is no greeting, no formal language. It literally looks as though it was dashed off in a few seconds in order to be folded in with the official invitation. I had the east wing of Carp Tower renovated this winter, so there's guest rooms there now, if you're going to be a fool about it. Uncle's coming to the festival and staying for a week after. We're going night hunting. You can come too, I guess. The tone is abrupt and dismissive, if not outright rude. But Wei Ying is smiling, happiness shining like the light of a thousand stars in his eyes. Lan Wenji hands the note back, not bothering to hide his confusion. Wei Ying laughs, wiping at his still moist eyes. Ah, uh, <laughs> you'd have to have grown up with Jiang Cheng to understand. Jin Ling is so like him. He had a guest room made up for me in the East Wing. Yes, Lam Wenji says slowly. All the way over on the East Wing, the complete opposite side of the palace from the main courtyards, and the stables, and the kennels. And he said he doesn't mind if I come night hunting with him and Jiang Jiang. He'd never just spring something like that on Jiang Jiang, which means Jiang Chang doesn't mind either. It's as good as a personal invitation from both of them. Yes. Things between Wei Ying, his brother, and his nephew are very, very complicated. Though Lan Wenji cannot deny that it was kind of Jin Ling to set up rooms where Wei Ying will not have to worry about even hearing one of the many dogs that call Carp Tower home. Then we will make plans to stay, he says. He does not realize it, but the invitation is the tipping point. He wakes to the soft sound of the Jingxi door sliding open, the feel of winter cold swirling through the room. He wakes alone in the bed, Wei Ying's side of the mattress still warm, though rapidly cooling. He sits up slowly, hearing the door slide shut again, the soft thump of his husband's footsteps on the narrow porch. This is not an unusual occurrence for them. It has gotten better in the past months, but there are nights when sleep eludes one or the other of them, when the past looms too large in the present, the ghosts and memories that dog their steps too loud to ignore. It is rare for one of them not to wake with the other, too attuned to each other to sleep blissfully on, while their beloved is in distress. They have developed almost an eerie language of signs and signals and routines for nights like this. Wei Ying knows when Lan Wenji just needs to hear his voice, needs to sit silently and let his love talk about everything and nothing, to remind him that the Jingxi will never be silent again. He knows when Lan Wenji is too far into his own head for words, knows when what will help best is to simply curl up in Lan Wenji's arms and go back to sleep, 
letting Lemwenji hold him as tightly as he wishes. He knows when Lemwenji needs more, needs to pin him to their bed and mark him with lips and teeth and tongue, needs to press his thumb into the hollow of Wei Ying's throat and feel his pulse beating. Alive, alive, alive. Likewise, Lemwenji knows when his husband needs to be held and soothed, treated as something precious, something to be treasured and cherished. He knows when his husband's edges grow too jagged for that, when a gentle touch simply cannot be borne for fear that everything will break apart on it. He knows when Wei Ying needs to be pushed and shoved and forced back together. He knows when Wei Ying just needs a moment to clear his head, to sit in silence and let the voices of the past fade away again. He knows when there just isn't anything that will help, and all they can do is ride out the storm in his love's head together. Pain is not a competition. It is not a matter of who has suffered more and who has suffered less. It is enough that they both have suffered. They learn the best ways to soothe the hurts that life has inflicted on them, and they move forward. Tonight? Tonight feels different. Wei Ying has left Xian Qing on its stand beside Lan Wenji's Gu Qin. He does not intend to go wandering the grounds as he sometimes does when he cannot sleep. He has not gone for the supply of liquor they still keep beneath the floorboards of their sleeping area. He is not looking to numb himself to whatever has woken him. He has risen quietly, trying not to wake Lamwenji, but he had not truly tried to hide his movements. Lamwenji judges that his company is not unwelcome. Wei Ying's winter cloak still hangs by the door. He grabs it as he steps out onto the porch, finding his husband sitting down on the steps. The moon glow on the snow gives off an otherworldly light, and Wei Ying's breath frosts in clouds around his face, coming in short, sharp pants. His love's arms are wrapped around his middle, his fingers digging into his own ribs as though trying to hold himself together. Wei Ying had to have heard him come out of the Jingxi, but nonetheless his husband startles when he drapes Wei Ying's cloak around his thin shoulders and then settles down next to him. Lan Zhen, he says, his voice quiet, still rough with sleep. I didn't mean to wake you. It is no matter, he replies and lifts one arm in invitation. Wei Ying hesitates for a bare instant before pressing himself against Lamanji's side, burying his face in the juncture of his neck and shoulder and taking a shuddering breath. Wei Ying, he says, pulling his love even closer. He reaches up to stroke his husband's hair. Wei Ying, what troubles you? He takes a deep breath before slowly... Gently asking, Did you dream of your sister? It is the most likely scenario, with the missives from Landling serving as a reminder. Wei Ying's nightmares are many and varied, 
but he is never so hurt by them as when he sees his shiji in them. Of all the wounds fate has left on his love's heart, Zhang Yanli's death is the one that he knows will never heal, the pain that will remain sharp and fresh for the rest of his days. Wei Ying loved her too much, feels too responsible for it to ever be otherwise. Their pain is not a competition. Their suffering is not comparable. But it is true that Lan Wenji's nightmares are easier to fight free of. When he wakes with his heart in his throat, the sight of his love falling to his death painted with lurid detail across his mind's eye, he has only to reach out and touch his husband to know it is not real to know he has been given a second chance. The people Wei Ying cries out for in his sleep are gone forever. To his surprise, Wei Ying shakes his head and gives a laugh that is just as shuddering as his breath. No, it's nothing, he whispers. Lem Wenji presses his lips together, but before he can even think what to say, Wei Ying is shaking his head again. His husband's arms wind around his waist, and even after so short a time outside, his love's fingers are so cold. No, Len Jen, I'm serious. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing. The problem here is there's nothing wrong. Wei Ying laughs again, a wet, ragged sound that is devoid of any mirth. Isn't that ridiculous? I couldn't make myself go into the tailors yesterday because it felt too real. Too much. A set of teacher's robes was too much. I don't understand it myself, but... I can't... It doesn't... He breaks off with a hurt, strangled sound. Weighing, he says, squeezing his husband tighter the hand that was stroking his hair moving up to cup the back of his neck. Weighing, he says again, helpless. I have so much here, Weighing murmurs, not raising his head from Lemonji's neck. His voice is so quiet, Lemonji doubts he would be able to hear the words at all, but for the stillness of the snow-covered night. I have you and Ayun, and Jin Ling doesn't hate me, Jiang Chang is willing to go on a night hunt with me. I... Teacher Lan has been so kind. And I like him, Lan Jen. I like talking to him and planning with him. Your uncle and I haven't even argued at all. And the kids... Lan Jen, your uncle is actually going to let me teach those kids. And I'm going to love it. I know I will. It's so much more than I ever thought I'd have. More than I ever dreamed I'd have. Finally, he raises his head, looks Lan Wenji in the eye. His hands are shaking where they clutch at Lan Wenji's sleeping robe. It scares me to be this happy, Lan Jen, he says, his voice breaking. It's all always fallen to dust in my hands, how can I be this happy? How long before I do something to ruin it again? 
No, Lemuji says immediately, strong and sure, as though his simple denial can chase away every doubt clawing at his love. Wei Ying, you will not. I have before. Wei Ying pulls back from him, swallowing roughly. Lan Ji lets him go, but keeps his arm around his husband's shoulders. I have before. Not all of it was me. I know that now. But part of it was. Choices I made. Actions I took. What if I hurt the children this time? Or a Yun? You! He curls in on himself, looking down at his hands as though they are dripping with the blood of all his ghosts. Lam Wenji has never met anyone as adaptable as Wei Ying, as able to simply roll with whatever was thrown at him, to take it and twist it and find a way to thrive in it when all reason and logic said he should crumble. Lam Wenji is utterly convinced that no one, not him, not Jiang Wan Yin, not his brother or his uncle or any of the sect leaders that had condemned Wei Ying in his first life, would have been able to go through the things that he had and make it out to the other side. Anyone else, the burial mounds would have simply devoured the way they always had. Anyone else, the resentful energy of demonic cultivation would have utterly destroyed, snuffing out any light and goodness in them. And yet, it has never occurred to him that that very adaptability might be able to wound his love, to damage him, to leave him unable to trust that he will not have to find a way to adapt and survive again, unable to simply feel happiness and contentment in something without looking for all the ways that it could go wrong. Like a sailor so used to the treacherous pitch and roll of a turbulent sea, that it feels like their legs have forgotten how to balance on solid ground once they leave the ship. Wei Ying swallows again, raking his hands back through his hair. Lan Wenji tugs at him lightly, and he does not fight or try to pull away. He almost collapses against Lan Wenji's side, his arms going back around his waist and clutching close. You may make mistakes. Then when she says, slow, measured, he reaches for every word, turns it over in his head the way a jewel crafter might examine a stone for flaws. And you may hurt those around you, just as we may hurt you. He will try not to. With everything he is, every bit of his strength, he will always try not to hurt the man in his arms. He pulls Wei Ying closer, holds him tighter, presses his lips against the chilled skin of Wei Ying's forehead, his cheek the corner of his mouth. But you will never be alone with your choices again. You will never be forced into a corner with no options. You will never be without help. Wei Ying releases a pent-up breath his whole body shivering with the force of it. If you doubt yourself, then trust me. Trust our son. Trust the other juniors and those who will be your students. 
trust all those who love you until you can trust yourself. He gathers his love still closer until there is no room for even air between them, until his husband is wrapped completely in the shelter of his arms where nothing will ever harm him so long as Lam Wenji draws breath. We will not let you fail. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed. This has been Chapter 3 of To Believe with Certainty We Must Begin with Doubting Written by Glitter Bombshell Narrated by Serd Theme Music Spirited Away The next chapter of this story will mark the end of this fic. So, with that in mind, I greatly urge all of you listening to go to my website, sairdsaudiofanfics.com, and go to the Let's Chat page where you can vote on our next upcoming fic. Yes, this is fourth in the Joy in the Midst of These Things series, but unfortunately fic 5 is not yet complete. So, until that happens, we will be continuing on with another fic of your choice. Now, as this will be interspersed with our ongoing Buffy stories... I will only be choosing a story that is not of the Buffy universe. So if there's one on that list, be sure to vote for it, and you can vote as many times as you want. Let me know what we should read next. Also, if you're a fan of Don May, which is a type of usually BL Chinese romantic web novel, please be sure to visit my Twitch and YouTube pages, The Library, where I read Don May every Monday and Wednesday. In fact, we've just started a new Don May entitled The Wife is First. That will be ongoing with our Married Thrice to Assaulted Fish. So please, if you're interested, I would love for you to check it out as well as like, subscribe, and follow. Right, with all that out of the way, thank you again so much for joining me, and I hope to see you again next time. Until then, happy listening! In business, you rarely hear the expression, for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 Weight Loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly, but if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800 or go to awaken180weightloss.com.